welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome to Great Shot Kid, the podcast on the Nerd Party Network that looks at the inspirational, technical, and all of the different aspects of filmmaking uh, that you love, the people that bring cinema to life, as it were. I'm John. And I'm Mike. And uh, this week, we're going to have a roundtable discussion uh, focused uh, on, well, I mean, you know what, Let, let's just let's just kick it off. Uh, usually we talk about, you know, go to the nerdparty.com slash contact if you want to reach out to us, or facebook.com slash the nerdparty. Uh, Twitter, we're uh, at join nerd party and the nerd party on Instagram. So, well, okay, I guess I did that anyway. So there you go. Um, but in the news recently is beloved geek filmmaker and Star Wars aficionado, Kevin Smith. He recently had a very massive heart attack, a very bad one. Um, he's a spry 47, and uh, despite recent lifestyle changes, has found himself in the hospital with, uh, he called the uh, the artery that was blocked the Widowmaker. Um, yeah, I like guess it's, that's what it's referred to. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like the worst one that could happen. Uh, so we find ourselves, two geeks of moderate age, heavily influenced by the films of Kevin Smith in one way or another, and him in the hospital. And Mike, I just, I mean, I want to get your reaction to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I woke up to that news this morning and, you know, it, it freaked me out because, like, I mean, I've, I mean, everybody knows that I'm a huge Kevin Smith fan, but he's also like, I mean, of any filmmaker, like the filmmaker who I feel sort of like, I mean, not that I know the guy, you know, <laughs> but the yeah. one who I feel like the most, like, personally connected to in the sense that, like, I, discovered him like right when his career started pretty much i mean i i watched clerks like like a year after it came out and then you know mall rats the day it was released on home video and you know i've been i've seen every single one of his movies you know since you know before yeah. they've opened and you know I, I was obsessed with him in high school. He sort of like was my gateway into you know the sort of like indie film world and the fact that he is like exactly 10 years older than me like i've always sort of you know charted my life in relation to his you know with sure. that that you know 10 year window forward or whatever and the fact that he's so accessible i mean like with his podcast but even before that and everything like he certainly presents himself you know as an open book and there's very little that's not known about him, at least as far as his personality and everything. He's not some sort of, you know, like reclusive, you know, mysterious filmmaker, like, right. you know, Stanley Kubrick or something like <laughs> right. everybody knows everything about him. And, you know, so it's like, you know, this was shocking for sure. You know, it, it really was. You know, it, it's interesting you say that, though, before before I, I, I get to my next point is you, you mentioned how accessible he's always been. And I think that's really interesting because I think he both prefigures and is the perfect representation of the transition into the social age, the social media age, at least. Like, yeah. if there's a filmmaker who was ready-made for it, Kevin Smith is it. Because the guy, like you said, he's always been an open book. He doesn't mind talking about his personal life, and that makes him a perfect avatar for the current age. And he's he's also someone who's always sort of put himself out there 
like as a fan before he became a filmmaker and as someone who, you know, was unafraid to connect with his fans. I mean, I swear to God, like this is flat out true story. Like the way, way, way back in the day, like 1997, right. Or 1998, like he had his, his comic book store, the, the secret stash, Jay and Silent Bob's secret stash. And they would sell things, you know, which, you know, you could buy and get shipped around the world. And this is before there was, I mean, there was an internet, but like, you know, you would place a phone order, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, they have like the number for the, you know, like the number that I found, like I was placing an order for something, you know, and I call the number and, you know, the phone rings and it's like secret stash. And I'm like, I'd like to place an order. And the person's like, oh, yeah, no, this is for the comic book store. You want to call this number. And I'm like, thanks. And then, you know, they hang up and I'm like, oh, that was Kevin Smith. <laughs> he was like literally just behind the yeah. counter at his comic book store answering phone calls because that's what he did, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I mean, that and then, you know, just a couple of years later, like we were just talking about like he was signing at a convention and they were supposed to cap the line. He was going to sign for an hour and they capped the line. And I was at the very end of this line and he stayed and signed for like every single person. He stayed there for three hours signing for everybody. And it's like just that sort of like dedication to fans before the, the internet, before social media and podcasting and everything, like you're saying, it does spill over and it's definitely part of his mythology and everything, you know? And, and it's the thing that really, really, I hate admitting when I'm wrong or when it, when it's been a bit or anything like that. But I, it's well known for the last several years that, that I, you know, sort of, I thought playfully, but, you know, I, I've sort of been hard on Kevin Smith about the nature of his career and the trajectory of his career. Um, and it's always been sort of like, you know, it, it's not because I dislike the guy. I've always prefaced it with he seems like a nice enough guy. But the thing that I have to always take my hat off with him is two things. One is beyond the, you know, he's in it for the fans and everything, is the fact that the guy always seems to have been in it, you know, the phrase we love to use, for love of the game. Like he's just thrilled to be doing it. And he's he is, in fact, wonderfully humble and self-effacing. I can always respect that. Where somebody will give him crap or be like, your movie sucks. He's like, yeah. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. like he has a very good attitude about things. But I'll also give him a lot of credit for the fact I don't think that there's anybody that can take more credit for being the one to make Star Wars conversations cool. Like he comes up around the same time that Tarantino does, right? And Tarantino's mm-hmm. dialogue is legendary. And Tarantino has these beautifully scripted monologues about Madonna's like a virgin or about the AK 47 and Jackie Brown or the justice system and hateful eight. Like, and, but they're, they're these beautifully crafted social commentaries, but Kevin Smith, as much as I hated clerks too. So I'll go back to a, an, an earlier film of his, but like clerks kicks it off. Clerks makes those kind of weird, quirky star Wars specific things. Cool to talk about in public. It makes it okay. He he really is in that sense like a trailblazer for 
the nerd conversations for the nerd renaissance that comes up in the 1990s. I, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it at least. Yeah, no, I would agree. You know, I mean, it, it's weird because, like, that's why I watched Clerks in the first place because I, I was working at a comic book store and I had a friend who was older who had seen Clerks because he was, you know, studying film and he was into indie film. And, you know, here this conversation about Star Wars comes up or whatever and, you know, He's talking about it, and I'm like, that sounds interesting. I'll check out this movie, you know, this little black and white thing, you know, sure. And, you know, there, there's that conversation there, which was the centerpiece of the movie for me, you know, yeah. and everything sort of branched out from that. And it's crazy because, like, you see, like, if you look really, really closely, you can see a couple comic books, like, stacked up in the corner of one shot, but... There's really nothing to indicate that he is a comic book fan, and then he releases Mallrats a year later, which is yeah. all about comics, you know, and and that and you know I think part of it was like it's really weird, like his his relationship with Star Wars is like like I, I remember seeing him at a convention right after Episode One came out, and someone's like, "What did you think?" and he's like, "It's good, you know, it's fine, you know, I wasn't over the moon about it, but whatever, it was fine." And then, you know, this, he started talking about Star Wars in general, and he was, he was like, I'm not really that big of a Star Wars fan. He's like, I, you know, put it in the movie because I thought it was a funny conversation, but, you know, in, in reality, like, Empire is a nearly flawless film. You know, I love that movie, but I could re live the rest of my life without seeing A New Hope again and... I would die a happy man. I that movie's fine, but I don't. I'm not in love with it, you know. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of it is like nostalgia for him, you know. But he's not like super duper Star Wars crazy fan. But he sort of like became. I think he played into that persona, you know. Oh well, I mean, it worked for him. You yeah. know, it, it definitely worked for him. But I mean, he does gear shift in Mallrats to the comic book centric, mm -hmm. and I, I don't think he looks back after that. I really no, don't. I mean there there are there is the Star Wars conversation and or a few you know there's the whole Jedi mind trick thing and Mall Rats, and chasing Amy yeah. has the wonderful uh, um, <laughs> conversation with Hooper X at the beginning about uh, well, the nature that, of Darth Vader, and and see here here's you know what you know what's funny about that is that conversation had me in stitches it still has me in stitches chasing Amy also came along at a time in my life where I was. Um, I was actually infatuated with somebody named Amy. So, I, like, I was like, "This is relatable." It really wasn't. But the uh, the, the thing is that Hooper X conversation will always go down for me as the gold standard moment for how to construct semi-controversial comedy, like. Like, if you peel apart that thing, it's not just about the Star Wars. It's about the fake persona that any creator puts on in order to play. I mean, if anything, you could actually argue that the whole um, the whole conversation, both sides of it, are Smith working out the fact, like you just said, he's not the biggest Star Wars fan in the world, but yeah. he's going to own it because that's what people remember him for. And it's so funny to me because after all of the movies that he's made, that is still the first thing that pops into my mind is that conversation in Clerks. He'll never mm -hmm. escape it. It's never, it's always going to be with him for the rest of his life. Yeah. 
No, for sure, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, certainly, I mean, he is, I mean, there's the whole story that he's told on a few occasions now about uh, visiting the set of Episode 7 and everything like that. Yeah. Which is, is really great. And and you can tell from that that, yeah, Star Wars is something which is very important to him in his life. But, you know, how much of that is because it helped launch his career? I don't know. But well, he actually did. Because um, the thing is, he also garnered somewhat of a reputation for being a willful critic of the prequels. And then I remember when he and this is probably the source of my uh, having a bone to pick with him or the, the bone. This is the bone that I've picked or whatever is uh, after he did this whole, where he basically becomes an avatar, especially with his show. I never saw the show, but I know that there was an episode where he was really critical of the prequels or something. They, like, put Lucas on trial or something like that. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that it was done for comedic effect. Oh, it was definitely done for comedic effect. But the <laughs> thing know. is, that sort of changes his persona. It's like, yeah, he's the champion of those of us who didn't like the prequels, you know, as much as the, the originals and everything. And then he appeared in Star Wars Insider for, I'm trying to remember, I think it was, might have been Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, where he started talking about how great it was, what the prequels did for innovating film and all of that stuff. And I remember reading it and thinking, wait a minute, you're the guy that's known for trash in the prequels, and now you're in here praising what the prequels did. I was like, dude. I don't think he's really known for trashing the prequels. I he mean, every time that I've heard him talk about, world. I don't know. I mean, he did, maybe he did like a comedy bit or something like that. But every time I've heard him talk about the prequels, like you know, earnestly, he's always been like, "They're good, you know, they're fine." You know, I, I saw something just recently where he was talking about them, and he was basically saying like, you know they're not for me, you know, like Star Wars, you know, the original trilogy was for me. And, you know, I wasn't a kid when, you know, the the new ones came out, I was, you know, 29 years old. And, you know, you cannot recapture that magic that you had when you were, you know, seven or whatever. So, you know, they're not for me. But, you know, I, I can totally understand people liking them. Like, I've never yeah. seen him like trash the prequels you know i mean he might have made some jokes about them for sure you know because they're yeah. an easy target but he's mm. every time i've heard him, like someone ask his opinion of the prequels he's always been like yeah they're fine you know you know but but speaking of yeah they're fine okay take me off because the thing is you are a smith fan and this is something that you and i have gone back and forth about okay and this is, I guess, somewhat reminiscent of our Carpenter conversation, but maybe flipped in a little bit, where I'm like, Kevin Smith is good up until and possibly including Dogma, or his films are, enjoyable mm-hmm. to me, up to and possibly, like, half of me is willing to include Dogma, and the other half is kind of like, eh. Um, but, but specifically before anybody thinks, it's, oh, well, that's just because John was raised Catholic. and he's like, No, it's because I actually think that everything he left on the cutting room floor, which was included in that special edition DVD, if that had been in the movie, the movie's better. Like mm-hmm. I had a problem with actually just the movie in general, how it was structured and stuff like that. But I don't think I'm alone in saying that I stopped going to his movies. But what is it? What is it that's kept you a fan about Kevin Smith? What has kept it powered for you? I mean, I guess in a lot of ways, it's the same thing that keeps you know. I mean, I, anything, whether it's Star Wars or George Lucas or you know any anything, powered for me, which is like, I'm never 
going to forget that he made clerks and because of that and also the fact that you know since I do kind of like think of being with him from the beginning I mean I in in high school I was the biggest Kevin Smith fan on the planet my entire life revolved around Kevin Smith and it, it sort of became my goal to sort of like introduce him to everyone who I came into contact with and like I could literally recite every single line of dialogue from every single one of his movies. If he directed a commercial, I sought that out. If he, you know, wrote a comic book, I sought that out. And it was like, I mean, I was just starving for anything that he would do. And, you know, that that's carried over. I mean, that's yeah. carried over throughout. So now it doesn't matter what he does. Like, I will be there opening day to see it, you know? As far as the quality, though, okay. I mean, I've I've liked every single Kevin Smith movie except for his last one, Yoga Hosers. That's the first time I saw a Kevin Smith movie, and I was like, this does not work at all. <laughs> the the only time. other... What was it? The first time. There was the first time. The, on, the only other one uh, that, that sort of falls into that is they did a... Uh, a cartoon movie, um, Jay and Silent Bob. Oh God, I don't even remember the name of it now, which is crazy. Yeah, that that movie, the, that animated movie, was terrible. He wrote that, but he didn't direct it, so that doesn't really count. But yeah, I didn't even know there was an animated Jay and Silent Bob movie. I it was legit yeah, didn't even know that. It it was a uh, they. He he. Basically, what happened was he wrote it as a. It was supposed to be a comic book, and um, Jason Mewes, who at the time was you know, um, I think kind of just starting his recovery from okay. from drug addiction. You know, I mean they they do that that podcast Jay and Silent Bob Get Old, where basically it sort. I mean it's a comedy show, but it doubles as a basically an AA meeting for Muse. You know, every show, you know, starts or ends with him talking about how many days he's been sober and everything. And that the first like 10 episodes of that show are basically the story of, of Muse's, you know, struggles with substance abuse leading up to, you know, the creation of that podcast. It's really, really interesting. You know, it's kind of devolved into just, you know, I mean, that's not one of my favorite Kevin Smith podcasts, I have to say. But those first few episodes were amazing. But well, I'll I'll have to check those out. But like now, I have a question though, because okay, you're you're willing to admit Yoga Hosers wasn't great, and the Jane Silent Bob cartoon wasn't great. What is it? Because because the thing is, everybody knows from listening to this, from listening to us over on Stage Nine, from listening to us over on Commentary Trek Stars, or anywhere else that they've heard you speak, how incredibly informed and knowledgeable and whatever you are about uh, the filmmaking process, about lenses, about types of film, about digital filmmaking, about all of the technical stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But if there's a knock that I think can fairly be universally applied to Kevin Smith, it's that his specific direction, per se, has never been the strong suit of his films. Would you agree with that? 
It, well, to a point. I mean, like, I definitely think that that's true of his early work. And, you know, that was sort of the joke. Like, this guy can't direct his way out of a paper bag. All of his movies look like garbage and everything. And I, that, I think, was true early on, you know, and you could say, like, this, I mean, he, he went through cinematographers like crazy, basically because the studio kept on saying, like, you need to get someone who actually knows how to shoot a movie, right? Yeah. And I think what's happened over the course of time, I mean, I would say starting with Clerks 2, really, is when he really starts to develop his own visual language. I mean, you look at, like, Zack and Mary, you look at Cop Out and everything like that, and Red State, I mean, is amazingly directed, you know? And and the same is true for his, his uh, cinematographer, Dave Klein. Like... He shot the first three movies, and then when they went to do Dogma, the Weinsteins were like, you need to get a real cinematographer this time. So they had to go tell, you know, their cinematographer, we are getting to make Dogma, but you can't do it. And they paired him up with Wes Anderson's cinematographer. And honestly, the results are not very good, you know? No, not particularly. And Klein was like thrown off to the side for years. He didn't come back until, um, well, until Clerks 2. So so there was like, the, the, the well, there was Dogma, and then um, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back was shot by uh, Jamie Anderson or something like that, who's like a, he does a lot of comedies and stuff. And then um, they gave him the Vilmos Zygmunt for Jersey Girl, the guy who shot Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And, you know, okay, yeah, that, that movie looks great, but they talk about, like, how their relationship with him was terrible because basically he was extremely condescending to them because he's like, I shot Close Encounters of the Third Kind and your movies are known for looking like garbage. And it was very much a generational rift there. That, but then, you know what? That that actually sounds like uh, what happened with Gilbert Taylor and George Lucas on Star Wars. Yeah, I can see Gil that. Where Gil Taylor was like, okay, settle down, kid. And Lucas was like, no, I don't, I think, no that's, not what I, that's not how I want to like the scene. Yeah. But then, you know, when they went back to Clerks 2, the whole thing was going back to their roots and everything like that. So he's like... Now I'm bringing in D- Dave Klein again, you know, and that movie looks great. You know, Zach and Mary look great. And the thing that happened, the thing that happened in that time is Dave Klein, you know, the, the guy who gets pushed aside, he's like, okay, fine. I'm going to use this time to learn my craft and to become a quote unquote real cinematographer. And now his day job is <laughs> he's the cinematographer on Homeland. And he's been nominated oh, wow. for multiple Emmys. Okay, see, I have <laughs> I have stopped watching Homeland since the third se- third ish season, um, but that show always looked great. Was he yeah. there from the beginning? Because that I'm, show, I'm pretty that sure. show was I mean, solid looking. He's that been, that he's was been a nominated really for, show. for Emmys, and I mean, you look at again, you look at Red State, and it's like, wow. okay, so talk me back then. All right, because I have I I after Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, I walked or I walked from Kevin Smith movies, and then I I rented Clerks Two, and I was done with Kevin Smith after Clerks Two. I was I was just completely flat out done with him. Okay, talk me back. If you're if you're saying to me, if you're saying to because I don't think that I'm unique. I don't think that I'm unique. That 
uh, I, I saw I made it to a certain point with Kevin Smith, and I was just like, I just can't do this anymore, man. Talk me back. What's the one post Clerks two? You think it's Red State that's going to bring me back? That's going to make me say, hey, this is pretty cool. I like what you're doing here. Or is it Zach and Miri? Is it what is it that's going to bring me back? Zach and Miri feels very much sort of like in the vein of Clerks 2. Like I almost see Clerks 2 and Zach and Miri as being sort of like two sides of the same coin in a lot of ways. Not selling me on it. Very close together and everything. I mean, Zach and Miri is essentially the story of the making of Clerks, you know? just okay yeah i mean that that's 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 what it is i mean it's fine okay, now you are selling me on it okay it's not it's not even you know <laughs> uh hidden you know that that's what what that's supposed to be but at the same time it's like well that's a, a great sort of personal story and it's a very touching you know romantic comedy and it's very funny and all that stuff but it m- is maybe lacking in some of the substance of uh, uh, his other movies cop out certainly an interesting thing you know the fact that it's i mean a, a huge well a mid-level studio film which he didn't write starring bruce willis and tracy morgan you know i mean it's a bizarre thing but it has some problems you know for sure and i, I don't think you can throw those problems on smith it's, it's the problem obviously was bruce willis now see here's here's what's interesting is th- this is another thing that i think probably contributed to my i don't know willing I, it's they're not attacks because i'm nothing to kevin smith but like <laughs> my willing takedowns of kevin smith to anybody that would listen to them is that when he was working on cop out you know reading the articles and he's like oh it's so great working with bruce willis he's an idol i love him so much and i loved him on Die Hard 5000 or whatever it was that I wore, blah, blah, blah. And then afterward, he comes out and on a speaking door, he's like, he's a total douche. And yeah. it's like, dude, like, we kind of know. We kind of figured that out. But come on, man. You know, like, it, I don't know. I don't like the magicians who, that's what it is. He's like the magician that comes around and tells you how the other magicians did the trick. But not in a pen and teller sort of way. Like the pen and teller sort of way is a lot of fun to like have them walk through the trick and explain to you how they're going to do it and how they they pulled it off and everything like that. But Kevin Smith is almost like uh, you know like Statler and Waldorf on the Muppet Show, where it's like, no, no, that's there's the string right there. Look, for, ah, see, oh, there's the shadow. Like that's sort of the thing where it's like you don't need to come out and like, you know, I'm sure that John Peters probably has had a conversation or 5,000 in his life that he's not happy about having. But you don't need to, like, put the guy out to dry for the conversation about Superman that you had, you know? I, I guess that's true, you know, to to some extent. I mean, I, I think that, you know, obviously he's very open about these things, and I think part of it is that they're they're his stories to tell, you know, or whatever, you know. But, you know, I mean, it is is... <laughs> I mean, I think most of the stuff is kind of lightweight, you know? I mean, the Bruce Willis stuff, yeah, he tells it like it is, but, you know, Bruce Willis did kind of ruin his movie for him. So, you know, I mean, I get that that, to me kind of makes it fair game. I don't know. But, you know, I mean, he doesn't really do that with other filmmakers or, like, you know, people where it's not his not his story to tell, you know what I mean? Hmm. I, I I mean, occasionally you'll hear little sort of things like, 
that that are but but they're nothing you know major like you know I, I mean, just, look I think <laughs> I think I just come from a different school because uh, you know and I, I'll, I'll relay this story okay in a very nebulous way because you never know who's listening out there but I had a boss one time who was uh, awful absolutely terrible to me and terrible to everybody that worked for this person notice I'm not even saying he or she here mm-hmm. right totally terrible whoever worked for this person this person was so bad and you've known me for many years Mike this person was so bad I actually had to go excuse myself to go to the bathroom to have a rage cry after a meeting like one of those things where it's like I'm either going to cry or I'm going to start punching walls in the office sort of thing but I never once ratted this person out I never once torched the bridge on the way out with HR or anything like that now one school of thought would be I should have right but I come from the school of thought where it's like you never know how that's going to go down in the future, right? Example, I met this person later down the road, and I don't know whether they had reformed or not, but there was this sort of unspoken thing where the person was totally aware that I could have made their lives very difficult, and there was a great appreciation that I gave them the chance to redeem themselves, right? Now, obviously, they weren't doing anything criminal or anything like that. You know, like, it's, it's not on that level. Kevin Smith tells this story about John Peters. John Peters is never going to work with him again. Bruce Willis is never going to produce a movie of his. Like, he's... It seems unwise to me to torch your relationship with Bruce Willis or John Peters or anybody else that you're going to trash talk in public on stage for laughs. You know what I'm saying? I guess so. I guess, I mean, the thing that that I think of in, in that regard is like, you know... It, he probably doesn't want to work with that. You know, I mean, like, like at one point, like, touche. Fair I, point. I, I was at, I was That's at a Q and A, and someone asked him, like, are there people who you don't get along with? You know, is there anyone who you worked with who you don't get along with? And he's like, yeah, there are. You know, I'm not going to say who it is, but you can probably tell because it's the people who I haven't worked with again. You know, and you know, I mean, that's like that's that's fair. You know, I mean, that I don't is know. a fair comment. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, the things that he says are not anything which I think would, you know, make it difficult. You know, like Kevin Smith is not going to take down John Peters, right? I mean, it's not like anyone's going to be like, I don't want to work with John Peters anymore, you know, but. Well, you know, that's true. And, and, to, and to that point as well, I guess, is the fact because you pointed to the fact that Ryan Johnson talked to Kevin Smith mm-hmm. and, you know, he said, so what was it like working with Bruce Willis? You know, because of Looper. And Ryan Johnson was like, he was great. I liked him. Yeah. You know, like we, talk, we talked about that before. We're like, you know, Ryan Johnson's like, oh, I didn't have a problem with him. Yeah. And so Kevin's, but the thing is that just sort of like, and the thing is I don't want to kick the guy while he's in the hospital or anything like that. But, you know, like it, it, it's, it's that sort of instance where I'm like, well, the common factor in all of these stories is you. Is it possible that you're doing something just to tick all of these people off? See, I mean, but I don't not, think so. Because like know, if you look at that and you look at like the ratio I mean, just like you're saying, how you have, you know, people who you've had trouble working with. You know, I certainly yeah. have had people who I've had trouble working with, like, but it's it's a rare occurrence. And you look at how many people have come back to work with him again and again and again. And you look at, I mean, to, to me, it's just, it's not even the stuff that, I mean, it's not, like, the, the, the thing that, that to me signals the fact that, like, Kevin Smith is such a good guy or whatever and all this stuff is everything that everyone else says about him 
like when he's not there, you know, I mean, whether it's stories about, you know, how he interacts with, you know, Make-A-Wish kids or whether it's, you know, stories from like the crews of, of, you know, Flash and Supergirl talking about how, you know, they just want him to keep coming back because he's such a joy to work with, you know, like those things. It's like, you know, that no, that that is fair. You're absolutely right. That's fair. Maybe what it is, is we are the HR department, right? And maybe mm-hmm. his story about John Peters doesn't do anything, but like maybe him telling his story about Bruce Willis will demand other directors to expect better behavior on a set. Maybe. For them to say, I heard about the way you behaved. That's not going to fly here or something like that. Yeah. I, you know, maybe. I, you know, like. And he's, to be fair, he's also, he's by no means the only person who's been, you know, tell, he's the most vocal person, but he's by no means the only person who's, you know, talked about Bruce Willis being terrible. Right. This is true. <laughs> this is true. Uh, you know, and, the, and, the, and that's, that's sort of the, I don't know, I guess that gets to the whole sticky wicket of personalities. And I mean, actors at their core are insecure um, and oftentimes terrible people. And so maybe that just speaks more to, you know, that mold of actor or something like that. But I'm not going to stop watching Die Hard. I'm not going to stop watching no, Die Hard because yeah. of it. So. And, you know, and, and he's talked about, like, uh, it kind of sucked because, you know, he's like, I'm a huge Die Hard fan, and now I can't watch that movie anymore because all I see is, you know, the guy who, you know, gave me an ulcer. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's certainly, I mean, something which, you know, people experience. I mean, we were just kind of talking about that with, with Quentin Tarantino or whatever, you know, just the idea of, separating the art from the artist and never meeting your idols and all that stuff. And, you know, I mean, it can, it can, people are complex, right? I mean, you know, that, that's the thing, I guess. And I, so I guess at this point, what I will do is very publicly forswear. I'm going to stop my whole thing of like, you know, Kevin Smith seems like a nice guy. I, I wish him well. I, I'm, I'm legitimately glad that they caught this that he didn't die because 47 and you know, honestly anything less than 5 billion years is too young, but he's way too young and and not just because he's less than 10 years older than me. So, Hey, no, Mm -hmm. no, I don't want that. No. Um, so, you know, like I, I, I publicly forswear and recant all of the things that I said for, you know, comedy or whatever. I, I do, I, I, I turn a corner here with Kevin Smith, but I still ask, for those of us that left after Jay and Silent Bob strike back, very willingly and very justifiably, I would say, and especially after Clerks 2, what movie gets us back into Kevin Smith? What movie would you assign people, and maybe we can make this an assignment for people to watch, what movie would you assign people to watch to get back into Kevin Smith that is not Clerks, Mallrats, or Chasing Amy, or Dogma? I mean... It's it's a very clear answer, but it's also something which is very sort of like outside of the box in terms of him, which is why I think it's such a clear answer. It's Red State. Okay. Hands down, Red State. I think if you were to look at it on any sort of reasonable scale, Red State is the best movie that he's made since Chasing Amy. I mean, certainly the best directed movie he's ever made. I mean, but also 
it's so unlike everything that he's done before. I mean, yeah, there's some chuckles in it, right? But it is a hardcore, straight-up horror movie from beginning to end. But it also has, you know, these these amazing performances. I mean, Michael Parks in particular is awesome. John Goodman is awesome in this movie. And it has, you know, an important message. And it's, it's, it's timely. And it's... It's 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 a it's a tour de force, you know, and it's something. But it is so unlike everything that he's done before. I mean, he he. <laughs> I w- I went to see it because he like took it around the country on like a tour where he would like show the movie and then do a Q and A afterwards. And he came out to introduce it, and he's like, "We're gonna have a Q and A afterwards because you're gonna watch this movie and you're gonna be like, oh my god, Silent Bob, what happened to you?'" <laughs> <laughs> because it is so heavy and so, you know, so dark. It's so dark and so violent and everything. Um, okay. But it really does show his range because it's unlike anything he's done before. Like, and no resemblance at all to any other Kevin Smith movie aside from a few little jokes, you know? Okay. So, uh, all right then. I I will I will take up that challenge. I will take up the Pepsi challenge. I will I will watch Red State. I will give him another chance. I will let this be if I like this, then I will dabble in you know, what what uh Zach and Miri and what is it? Cop Rock. What's the name of it? Cop, Cop Rock. Out. Cop, Cop out. Out. It was originally supposed to be called a couple of dicks, but then they we're like, no, we can't call. You know, if they weren't going to let Zach and Mary make a porno fly in certain markets, yeah, I have a feeling a couple of dicks was not really going to work. So then it, it was going to be called cop. Uh, I'm sorry, a couple of cops that you know, and they were, and then they finally came up with cop out because they were like, oh, if we called a couple of cops, that's just a cop out. You know, and then they're like, oh, that's good cop out. But no one ever talks about this. But at one point, it was definitely going to be called Detectives in Charge because, (laughs) and I know this because working at a movie theater, at one point, we get our pack of trailers and I see this, this thing. It says Detectives in Charge. And I'm like, what the hell movie is that? You know, and I just throw it on the screen to see what it is. And it's the trailer for Cop Out, only with the title Detectives in Charge. So it came really freaking close to being called Detectives in Charge. Like, trailers went out. I saw one. You know? That's amazing. That yeah. is amazing. Okay. All right. Red State. Red State is the one one to go for. And the thing is, I'm hip for seeing Red State because Michael Parks is just He's brilliant. awesome in this. He, well, I mean, I, I haven't seen him in this, but he's just... A, a brilliant actor. He was a brilliant actor. Rest in peace. Like I mean, Tarantino, I think, was the one who said that this was like his his best performance ever, you know? Which is crazy considering the guy sitting in for Ricardo Montalban mm-hmm. like beats him out for the part because he's just so good that he's like that Tarantino was like, Yeah, you gotta play it. Yeah. Like that's and, and it's that, great that good. he kind of gets like a starring role here. I mean, I, I would say it, it's a very interestingly structured movie where the perspective. I mean, we talk about gear shift movies. This thing shifts gears like three times to the point where you have no idea where it's going. And then it gets to the end and you're just like, are they really going to do this? 
are they really going to do this? And okay. it's amazing. And All right. f- for for anyone who's interested, if you want to, if, I mean, this is one of the most amazing podcasts I've ever heard. Like they did a, um, he did a podcast series. I, it was like called like Red State Film School or something like that, okay. where what he did was like leading up to the release of Red State, he had like a, a podcast series at, at his at his Smod Castle, where um, each week he had a different crew member come in and talk about what they did on the making of the movie. So he oh had my gosh. everyone from like casting directors to assistant directors to costume designers to cinematographers. And then he finished it off with, I think Michael Parks was the very last person who he came, you know, and it's, it's kind of awesome. Like he had the same group of people come each time, you know, so it literally, it, he, he wanted to design it like it was a film school and that's what it became. And it's one of the most, insightful um you know sort of like uh i don't know anything what and you know any in, in any format one of the most insightful uh descriptions of the filmmaking process you know and i highly recommend listening to it i don't know why i'm promoting people to uh, promoting other podcasts for people to listen to but whatever you it's know a- no you know <laughs> you know why is because you should i mean like we're not i mean what what kind of competition are we on are we yeah, in here no, like, we want yeah. i mean like our whole mission statement is to get people to learn about film and if there's a great resource for that and this is not nested within the smodcast like if i go searching for it i should i should search for red state film school i think that's what it was called i mean it's okay. going to be like if you go to smodcast.com and search red state i'm sure it'll come up i forget the exact name of it but um but yeah it was like its own its own separate thing so so let's do this okay Next week, we're going to talk about RoboCop 2 with a special guest because I'm going to especially enjoy curb-stomping RoboCop 2, a movie that I have a legendary, legendary problem with. Uh, A few weeks down the road, because we're going to do a Rebels recap after that season is wrapped up and everything, a few weeks down the road to give you guys time to prepare, and we will remind you next week and the week after that as well, watch Red State and then find this podcast that Mike has referenced And let's all do our homework so that we can come back and reconvene and talk about this. Because uh, as it so happens, uh, Mike and I were talking about going back and revisiting the filmography of Kevin Smith. Uh, You know, godfather of Star Wars conversations in film and and geek culture and everything like that. Uh, And so this seems like the perfect time to go back. And, uh, you know, so RoboCop 2. Rebels recap, and then we're going to talk about Red State, so you have plenty of time to watch the film and listen to that podcast, and we'll come back and reconvene on that. But, Mike, if people want to talk to you about uh, you know, Kevin Smith or anything like that, where can they find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. And you can find me on Twitter at Kessel Junkie, or you can amble on back here uh, and listen to Aggressive Negotiations, uh, which is a podcast focused on the nooks and crannies of the Star Wars English muffin. And uh, that's here on the Nerd Party Network and, of course, on Words with Nerds. So next week, we will be talking to you about Irving Kirshner directing RoboCop 2. 
Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.